probably nothing offers more hope, more joy, and also causes more pain and heartache than the marriage relationship. God has designed the marriage relationship to be desirable, to be delightful, to be beneficial to us. But as we move into that relationship as broken, wounded, sinful people, there's oftentimes a lot of heartache. It can be downright painful. And whether it's the process of trying to find a spouse or the pain of, of a difficult marriage or the damage done by a divorce or even the loss and grief of, grief of losing a spouse, a marriage can be painful. And so I recognize as we move into this series that, that honestly, there's a lot of pain in the room. There really is. And so I'm going to tread lightly. I'm going to try and speak gently. I, I, I don't want this to be condemning or shaming or, or guilt. I want this to be life-giving. I want it to be helpful and hopeful. Uh, on your notes today, we're going to start out, we're going to start out with a lament, a, a passage from Lamentations says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I look back on my life and I see where it went off the rails. I, I have some regrets in my life. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. You know, marriage can cause us real pain and heartache because of the hurts from, from the past. It can be hard. It can be difficult. And, and a lot of us have, have the things that from our past that still haunt us. And that's why I love the title of this series, From This Day Forward. From This Day Forward. We're not going to focus on the past. The past, the past. We can't change it, but we can set our feet in a new direction. And that's the way we're going to go. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I really want this to be a hopeful series. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Look up here. Look at, look at my eyes. God is always willing to give you a blank page. God is always willing to give you a fresh start. His mercy, his compassion is new every morning. You, you can move from this day forward. God is a this day forward kind of God. And so the question in, in, is this series is, is, is a great marriage possible? I mean, they look possible in TV and movies and fairy tales, but, but in real life, with all the regrets from the past and the burdens from the present, is it possible to have a, a great marriage? And I want you to know that God has a plan to lead you to a great marriage. But the odds are stacked against you. The odds are stacked against you because the vast majority of people today, believers in the church included, do not want to follow God's plan for marriage. They want to follow their own plan. They want to follow the world's plan. And that's why marriages fail. If you follow the world's plan for your marriage, the odds are 50-50 that your marriage will end in divorce. 50-50, one out of every two. And marriage is really the only area of life where we're willing to tolerate those odds. I mean, you wouldn't get on an airplane if the pilot announced, we have a 50-50 chance of making it safely to our destination. I mean, you would get off of that plane. Yet we settle for those odds in our marriages. But God has a better plan for us than that. If we will, from this day forward... Do five things. 
Just lay out the whole series for you right here. First thing you need to do is seek God. Number one key to a successful marriage, seek God. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to talk about how to fight fair. We can't keep you from fighting. Every marriage has conflict. But conflict doesn't have to be destructive. In fact, conflict can be constructive if you learn to fight fair. Third week is have fun. And, and this is the romantic session. And, and, and what that means, parents, is on that day, you need to take full advantage of Rockbrook for Kids because it's going to get a little spicy in here. <laughs> and you guys especially, you want to be... That's, that's uh, Valentine's weekend, February 13 and 14. Guys, write that down because God is on your side. <laughs> you don't want to be here for that one. I can't wait. We're going to cut the service short so everybody can <laughs> go home. Week four is stay pure, stay pure. No way your marriage is going to make it if you fall into the vile trap of what the world tells you is normal. You, you, you're going to implode like the rest of them if you don't opt to stay pure in your marriage. And week five, it's never give up. The wedding vows say, until death do us part. And, and what that means is, is God wants you to enjoy a magnificent marriage through every season of life. And we're going to show you how to do that. So today, first principle, I seek God. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us not to be angry and not to worry. Two common causes of failed marriages are anger and worry. And anger comes out of us as, as we have hurt and frustration and fear. Anger then, then damages and destroys our marriages. Worry, at, at its core, is mistrust. And when we, we become worried, when we mistrust our spouse, or maybe we even mistrust God. And so Jesus tells us, he doesn't just tell us don't be angry and don't worry, he tells us how not to, not to be angry and not to worry. How? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. It's the seek God principle in marriage. How, how do I get the power of God operating in my marriage relationship. You seek God first. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness first. If you focus on your relationship with God, he'll take care of all the other stuff. But you get focused on the other stuff and, and, and you're opting out of the power of Christ working in your marriage. That's how crucial this is. Now, as this relates to the marriage relationship, a lot of people make a mistake here, especially singles. If you're single, don't stay home during this series because I'm going to have a lot of stuff for singles. I really am. And so you're, you're, if you're single, you know, maybe you've never been married or you're married but you're not now, uh, we've got a lot of stuff for you. And one of the things I hear from singles often is, Pastor, please pray for me. I am looking for my one. I'm looking for my soulmate. I'm looking for the one that will make me complete. I'm obviously not complete. I need someone to make me complete. And that is a flawed concept. It's not even biblical. You are not going to find another person that's going to make you complete. You're not going to find a, another person that completes you. And, and people get married under the false premise that their spouse is going to complete them and, and, and then they can't. And, and when you're doing that, what, what's really happening is, is you're putting your spouse in a place that only God should be. And that's actually an idol. 
you put something in the place where God needs to be, it becomes an idol. And what we idolize, we eventually demonize. What we idolize, we demonize. Because no one else is fit to be an idol. They never measure up and they fail us. And when they fail us, we turn on them. And it's amazing in the marriage relationship how opposites attract and then opposites attack. You know, it, it's, there's only one that's worthy of that one spot in your life, and it's God. It's not your spouse, it's not your kids, it's not your job. Only God can go in that. And, and, and you've seen it, I've seen it over and over again. You know, the very thing you admire in that person while you were dating is the thing you come to hate later. Oh, when I met him, he was just so laid back. He was just so calm, never got rattled. Ten years later, he's a lazy lout. You've got to build a fire under him to get him to do anything. Same guy, same behavior, idolize, demonize. Oh, she's so organized. You would not believe how detailed this lady is. She is so organized. She's just so driven. I mean, man, it's just amazing. And ten years later, she's a control freak. <laughs> she's trying to run my life. Same woman, same behavior. Idolize, demonize. You cannot put people in a position where only God should be. And, and marriages fail when we expect from people what we can only get from God. Because they can't live up. They can't live up to that pressure. And the reason you're expecting it from them is you're not getting it from God. Because when you're getting it from God, you don't even need it from them. You can release them. Because they're not your one. So here's the principle from, from, from this message. God is my one and my spouse is my two. God is my one, my spouse is my two. And if you're single... Never been married, married before, but you're not now. The next one is for you. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. And, you know, I'm not even going to focus on the other person right now. I, I'm just going to get as close to God as I can. Now, I'm not even looking for the other person. I got my eyes fixed on Jesus, and I'm trying to get as close to him as I possibly can. And if you do that, two things will happen. First, you will become very attractive to the kind of person you're wanting to attract. The closer you get, you, you, because you're not looking for someone, you're becoming someone. And you're becoming the kind of person who's going to attract the kind of person you want to attract. You're letting God work in your life. You're staying close to God. You're faithful and involved in church. You're serving. You're preparing yourself for that person. And the second thing that happens is, is as you get prepared God moves into motion. And when you become the person God wants you to be, God will bring you the person God wants you to be with. You become the person God wants you to be, and God will bring you the person He wants you to be with. But if you make the guy or the girl that you want, you're one. If you're focusing, chasing, pursuing them, you get your focus off chasing and pursuing God, you're going to crash and burn. You're going to crash and burn. Because no one, I don't care how pretty, how smart, how hunky, how hot, no one can fill that spot that God has for you in your life. You know, it, They're not supposed to fill it. It won't work. You'll crash and burn. And some of you have crashed and burned and you don't know why. 
And so you just step right back into the meat grinder and you go through that process and you crash and burn again, sometimes two and three and four times because we're doing it our way, not God's way. And many people start out doing this young in life. They'll start out as kids and and they just always think they've got to have a guy or got to have a girl in their life. And culture fuels that and even, even parents fuel it. And so, you know, you start out young when there's no reason, no hope of a long-term relationship. And yet you've got to be going with somebody. And then you move into the teenage years and we just wound and damage each other's hearts when it's not even time to be in a relationship. And then you move into college and we make these connections and then rip them apart and make connections and rip them apart. And it just destroys our hearts. And we create a pattern of moving from relationship to relationship. Because we think we need a guy. We think we need a girl in our life. When you don't need a guy, you don't need a girl in your life. You need God in your life. You need God in your life. And so I will seek God while I'm preparing for my two. And then when you're married, the dynamic shifts to I will seek the one with my two. If you're a Christian couple and you don't actively seek God together, you're keeping yourself in that 50-50 pile. You're living so the odds are against your marriage making it. Because it's not only important that you keep God as number one, your spouse needs to be your number two. Not your kids, not your job, not your hobby, not your addiction. And for lots and lots of women, their kids become the most important thing in their life. Their kids will become more important to them than God. Their kids will become more important to them than their husband, the father of their children. And and that is not God's designated order. God's designated order is he's first, your spouse is second, and your kids are third. And guys, lots of men, their job becomes the most important thing in life. Or their hobby. Their job or their hobby becomes more important than God. They will skip church to work. They will skip church to hunt or fish or golf. You know, it becomes more important than their spouse. They'll stay and work late or they'll take the weekend and go hunt and fish rather than spend time with their spouse or their kids. That is not God's designated order and it's not going to work. That's why half our marriages fail. And why a lot of the ones that don't fail are crummy. You know, people haven't, they haven't gotten divorced, they've just settled for miserable. God's designated order. God first, your spouse second, your kids third, your work and your hobby. You know, you seek God, all that other stuff just falls into place. And that's why the divorce rate's so high in our country, our culture. Why it's so high in the church? Because we're not following God's plan for our marriages. So I just want to invite you. I I don't care what the past is from this day forward. I want to invite you to make a commitment to doing three things to seek God first in your marriage. What are they? On your notes. Number one, pray together. Pray together. You, You need to understand that your faith is not to be private. We, we hear that all the time. My faith is very private to me. You know, culture's real big on that. You know, you, you can believe what you want to believe, just keep it to yourself. You know, you keep your faith between you and God, but don't be spewing it around to anybody else. Christians buy into that idea of, of, of a private faith. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Yes, your faith is to be personal. The Bible talks about it is, it is absolutely necessary that we have a deep, personal 
faith relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's, there's a difference between personal and private. Don't confuse personal and private. Because personal works, private doesn't. Doesn't even work. Look at James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Circle the words each other. God is very much an each other kind of God. Confess your sins. Pray for each other. Not just to God, but to and for and with each other. Your faith needs an each other dynamic and an each other expression. So that, this is how it works so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, I know when I say pray together that all all the guys, most of the guys in here probably went, oh, no. And most of the women went, oh, I love it. That's just the difference between men and women. For guys, it's just, it's an awkward thing. It is for me. It really is. And so I just want to remove some of the pressure from you today. I want this to be a life-giving point, not not a point of guilt and shame. I want it to work for you. And I want you to know that praying together in your marriage doesn't mean that you get up early and spend your personal time with God together. Katie and I don't do that. Been married 41, going on 42 years. We've tried that at different times over the marriage. It's just never worked for us. It's just never worked for us to, to, to get up and, and do devotions in our prayer time together. So I have a personal time with God every day. She has a personal time with God every day. I know some couples are able to make it work, and God bless them. That's, that's, I'm sure it's a joy for them. For us, it just hasn't worked. But I see her. I see her reading her Bible in the morning. She's sitting on the bed, reading her Bible, talking to God. I like to pray in the car on the way in in to work. I like to do my Bible reading in in, in my office. And and we both have different reading plans. We both have different devotionals that we work through. We both have prayer lists of people and things that we're praying for. We have different styles of praying. Katie's very, very quiet, very focused. I'm more animated and agitated. God, save these people. Heal them, move on our behalf. I mean, who wants to sit and listen to that, you know? So... So we just give each other the space to do that. And and a lot of couples sit, read, pray together. But if you don't, don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged because doing that time together doesn't work out. But I'll tell you what does work, what's worked very, very well for us, is to pray for one another. And there are numerous times throughout the day, throughout the week, when the topic of prayer, when prayer requests, praying for one another, praying with one another just becomes a part of our natural rhythm as a couple. We pray before we eat. We pray in the car before we run errands. We we pray about a phone call from family or friends. We pray in the hallway of the nursing home where our mom is. I mean, prayer is a tool and a resource. It's part of our relationship. But we just don't make it an awkward drudgery. It's just part of the rhythm of life for us. And every one of you can do that. You can do that from this day forward. Just just try it. Just step in there. Just infuse your marriage with prayer for and with one another. It'll help your marriage stay together. Because we're in dangerous times. We really are. In the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. In our day, people scoff at marriage. People scoff at God's plan for marriage. They want to do marriage the way they want to do marriage. Look at the result. 
These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, circle but, I mean, here comes God, not condemning, not shaming, no guilt, just offers us an effective alternative. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You build yourself up in the faith. You seek God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit just intercedes on our behalf and takes our ramblings and makes sense out of them to God. So that we can abide in God's love and mercy and our marriage can endure all the way to the end. Please, just make prayer a part of your married life. However that works for you. Even if it's just a text, hey, I'm praying for you, babe, or a note on the mirror in the morning. Now, for you singles, as you move into relationships, serious relationships, you ought to include prayer as a part of that relationship. But I would caution you not to do it alone. And don't pray sprawled out on a sofa together somewhere. Because prayer is a very intimate activity that can lead to physical intimacy. It really can. I mean, let angels prostrate fall, but you stay upright. Okay? Because praying together, it, it binds the heart together. And that's why it's important for married people to do it and why single people need to be careful with it. And if you're married, don't be praying with somebody of the opposite sex. Don't be praying, uh, holding hands praying with that guy at work who's having difficulty. Don't be praying with that lady at work. You know, find a guy to pray with him. Find a lady to pray with him. You don't need to be doing that because it's tremendously powerful. And you want to use the power of prayer to your advantage and you want to avoid the dangers of it if you're single. Okay? So you infuse your marriage with prayer. Number two, discuss the Bible together. Discuss the Bible together. And I'll just confess, we have tried over the years to do family devotions with our kids, and it just didn't work. And it was no fault of theirs, it just didn't work. And we would try, we'd do it for a while, and then it didn't work. However, what we have been really good at is Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. It says, keep these commandments that I give you today, or these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. As a husband, as a father, I've tried very seriously to impress God's word on my wife and on my kids. And impress means to excite, move, amaze, influence, affect, astound, and astonish. That's what I want to do. I don't want to just sit and read something in a boring setting. No, I want to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You know, Bible devotions have not been a formal setting in our home. Instead, the truths of the Bible have just been uh, the content of our conversations, our discussions, our debates, our arguments. We talk about God in the Bible. When you walk along the road, when we're riding in the car, when you get up, when you lie down, the Bible is impressed into our hearts. And one of the ways we've done that is through our small groups. And for years, Katie's been in a ladies' small group. I've been in a men's small group. Our kids have been in student small groups. 
And the goal of our small group involvement is to make the Bible real and active, present and active in our lives. And then Katie and I talk about what her group, you know, she shares what her group is studying. I share what my group is studying. You know, the kids talk about what they've learned in their group. And it becomes an ongoing conversation about what the Bible means and how it works. It get in, gets impressed into our lives. It's not forced, it's natural. Number three. You need to attend church together. You want to make church the priority for your family and everything else falls into line. You don't just come to church when it's convenient. Oh, the weather's good. Let's go today. There's no game I want to watch today. Kids don't have any soccer, so we can go to church. No. You make attending church together a priority and then you say no to other stuff if it conflicts. Nope, can't do that. Can't join that soccer league because we go to church on Sunday. Now, am I just trying to get a bunch of people to come to my church? No, I'm trying to move you out of that 50-50 bucket and get you increase the odds of your marriage surviving. I mean, if there's a plane over here that goes down 50% of the time and there's one over here that, that rarely goes down, which one you want to be in? And doing these three things, just doing these three things alone, move, it moves you out of 50-50 and tremendously increases your odds of your marriage succeeding. Some studies have said that over here it's one out of two. You do these three things, it's one out of 1,247. That's a significant change in odds for success. That's why you need to do these three things. Before I was a pastor, I was married and raising kids for 15 years before I became a pastor. I was just a guy with a job and a family. And Katie and I, we didn't miss church. We didn't miss and not only did we attend faithfully, but we were involved. We taught in children's ministry. We worked with youth. We sang in the choir. I ushered and greeted. I changed diapers in the nursery. We, we rolled up our sleeves and went to work. I mean, church was important to us, and we got involved. And that's one of the th great things about Rockbrook here. You know, we do five services a weekend, five services over two days. I mean, you can worship one and work one. And the families around Rock, Rockbrook who do that, who work and serve together, I see them. And that's, that's the greatest thing. It, it, they're probably more excited about the ones they work in than the ones where they just sit and worship. And it does something to their family. It does something to their kids when they get involved and they serve. Why? It, it just makes for a stronger marriage. It makes for godly kids. Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids. Uh, look how it worked out in Jesus' life. Luke 4, 16. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus was raised by parents who took him to church. It was their practice. It was their habit. It was their custom. And, and it became his custom. So you want to infuse your marriage with prayer. You want to impress the Bible on your hearts and you want to involve your family in the church. Why? Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. And far too many of us, far too many of us in the church, far too many of us in this very room are laboring in vain. Because we're not doing it the way God tells us to do it. And the number one key, the number one essential of a healthy marriage is living with God first. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for your wisdom and for your love for us. 
And so, God, I just pray that you'd help us, regardless of what the hurts and wounds are from the past. God, help us from this day forward to seek you, to pray, to impress the Bible on our hearts, and to get involved in church. God, you desire, you desire for us to have great marriages, great families. And so help us to pursue your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.